unregulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad you've joined the program today. It's a big day in the uh, Edwards household. My uh, youngest daughter back in school, in class, for the first time since uh, March of last year. Yeah, I know. That's big. Uh, Also, uh, my uh, second oldest son turns 21 today. I know. I don't know where the time has gone. Uh, Anyway, eh, just some personal news. Uh, In terms of Second Amendment news, so we'll go ahead and give you an update on the nomination of David Chipman. We've been talking a lot about it here on the uh, program. And uh, with the delays in the uh, infrastructure votes in the Senate, I, I, I don't see the Senate taking up Chipman's nomination before they recess. I, I could be wrong about that. But, uh, you know, as of last week, the Democrats were publicly, uh, the Democrats who support David Chipman, I should say, were publicly hoping uh, to have a vote after the infrastructure uh, package was passed by the Senate and then before the Senate recessed. But they were hoping to get that done over the weekend. Uh, and now the uh, vote on the infrastructure bill is uh, stretching out. So, Honestly, I, I, I've heard no indication that uh, there's been any change in attitude uh, among those Democrats who have at least been publicly hesitant uh, to uh, back David Shipman. Maine's Angus King, uh, Montana's John Tester, West Virginia's Joe Manchin. Uh, we will continue to follow this story very closely, but uh, as of right now, it looks like the nomination is still very much in a holding pattern because the votes to confirm David Chipman aren't there. So if you are a gun owner in Maine or Montana or West Virginia, I would encourage you, keep up your contacts with your senators. In fact, no matter where you live, uh, I think it is good to contact your senators, um, even if they've already come out either in opposition of David Chipman or in support of uh, Chipman's confirmation. They need to know what a controversial and outrageous nomination this really is, trying to install a gun control activist as the head of the agency that would oversee our nation's gun laws as well as the uh, firearms industry. Speaking of the firearms industry, interesting story out of California. You know, uh, Joe Biden, one of his latest pushes is to go after these uh, quote-unquote rogue gun dealers. And there are a few out there. Matter of fact, uh, the Trump administration actually found one in uh, California back in 2019 And uh, this uh, gun owner, this uh, gun store owner, this uh, quote-unquote rogue gun dealer, is uh, just now getting around to being sentenced. So it turns out, though, interestingly enough, this uh, quote-unquote rogue gun dealer, also a big supporter of gun control in California. Yeah, there's the headline. Roseville advocate for gun laws swiped cops' identity for illegal weapons sales. Mm Mm-hmm. As the uh, Sacramento News and Review reports, from the outside, Joseph John Deeser IV looked like the model of a reasonable gun dealer. He had testified before the California legislature and Congress about the need for common sense safety measures around firearms. He had taken the public position that universal background checks do not infringe on someone's Second Amendment rights. Deeser was a licensed gun seller, but he wasn't a gun zealot. He also wasn't, as it turns out, living up to anything he purported to champion on that front. Deezer pleaded guilty in federal court last week to stealing the identities of six law enforcement officers from the South Placer, California area. 
using his unique position as a Roseville gun club owner to con the unknowing police personnel while cashing on a specific loophole in federal gun regulations. It's actually state regulations, but whatever. Uh, Deezer, though, was sloppy in his subterfuge, pressing his own middle fingerprint onto official sales forms needed to impersonate the various peace officers. Those boxes on the forms are clearly designated for a person's right thumbprint. Whether this move was Deezer's subtle way of giving the, quote, middle finger to the government isn't clear. But what is clear is that the once respected dealer is now staring down the barrel of four years in federal prison. Yeah, so this is a federal crime. But in essence, uh, Deezer is accused of violating a a state law. So in essence, he's accused of of engaging in illegal firearm sales, which is a federal crime. But he was sort of aided and abetted in this. Thanks to a California law, as the uh, Sacramento paper reports, over the course of an investigation, uh, federal agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives discovered that Deezer conducted more than 50 straw buys of specific types of new off-roster firearms that he wasn't licensed to handle. Knowing that there's a loophole that allows peace officers to buy those same guns, Deezer went through his own sales records using their detailed information to steal the identities of six peace officers who had legally purchased guns from him in the past. Between December 2014 and April of 2018, Deezer relied on those identities to buy the otherwise restricted guns that he could then turn around and sell them to members of his club. So one of the many, many screwy gun control laws in California is that, again, you've got this roster of handguns that have been certified for sale. and Folks like you and I, at least if you're not in law enforcement, folks like you and I, are only allowed in California to buy handguns that are on this roster. Well, there haven't been any new handguns put on this roster in over a decade. Meanwhile, existing models that were on the roster have now been removed by the California Department of Justice. Anytime, let's say, uh, a manufacturer who's uh, producing a handgun that's, that's, that, that has been available for sale. Let's say they make a slight design change. They move a screw, let's say an eighth of an inch. The state of California says, ah, 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 not so fast. That's a new model of handgun. Is that micro-stamped? Because all new models of handguns that are available for sale in California have to have micro-stamping technology. So if that doesn't, well, no longer is that available for sale. And they will remove that handgun off of the roster. But again... If you're in law enforcement, the roster doesn't apply. You can buy whatever firearm you want. This law exacerbates, I would say this law fuels corruption. Not only have we seen this gun dealer in uh, the Sacramento area, but we've also seen actual law enforcement officers in Southern California get busted for the very same thing. Buying handguns that are not available to the general public, but are available to police, and then turning around and selling those guns on the black market. So here's the thing. This gun dealer in California, you know, the same one who's, oh, yeah, universal background checks, great, no problem. Oh, we need more common sense gun safety regulations. Yeah, this guy. If if California didn't have this screwy off-roster law or the, the handgun roster law, Uh, Odds are this crime never would have taken place because this guy would not have needed to steal the identities of six various police officers in order to purchase these handguns and then turn around and again illegally sell them. He would have been able to legally sell these firearms to the uh, members of his gun club because they would be legally available for sale, as they are 
in almost every state of the union. I think uh, it's only Washington, D.C., actually, that uh, has a roster that is similar to California's. So I'm not saying the guy didn't commit a crime. Clearly he did if he pleaded guilty. But it is a crime that exists solely because of California's gun control laws. And if this law were not on the books, if the average resident were able to buy some of the most popular handgun models in the country today, well, there would be no black market for these firearms in California, at least not for the straw purchases of these firearms. This is another example of how gun control laws create gun crimes. And in this case, it's resulted in a, again, a potential four-year prison sentence for uh, Joseph John Deezer IV. All right, let's turn our attention now to our uh, armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Akron, Ohio. Now, this is actually an editorial from the uh, editorial board at the Akron Beacon Journal. The mayor and the new Akron police chief must address how resources can be used to stem violence. And they point to a murder back in uh, July of this year. They say the July 5th shooting death of 35-year-old Aka Edison came less than four months after an assault that left her with black eyes, bruises, egg-sized knots, a gash in her head, and a broken leg. Misdemeanor charges were filed in the March beating, but Franklin Lewis, who Edison had dated, was never arrested, even though he also was wanted for missing a probation hearing related to a felony conviction for illegally carrying two handguns in 2018. As you might have guessed, uh, Franklin Lewis is now believed to be responsible for uh, this murder of Aka Edison. It was uh, Independence Day weekend when uh, Edison and Lewis spent time together at a party, according to her family. Uh, Her son told the Akron Beacon Journal that Edison woke him up in the middle of the night because Lewis was, quote, talking crazy. At some point, he heard gunshots and called police. Early on July the 5th, police found Edison on the back porch with multiple gunshot wounds. She was pronounced dead. Lewis turned himself into police the following day. He is said to appear in Summit County Common Police Court today. Uh, indicted for murder with a gun specification, felonious assault with a gun specification, as well as domestic violence. The Akron Beacon Journal's editorial board says the assault that Edison suffered deserved more scrutiny by detectives. According to reporting by the Beacon Journal, a police officer photographed Edison's injuries at the hospital but did not wait for results of x-rays to come back. Would a broken bone have meant a felony instead of a misdemeanor? If so, they write, it suggests a grave error because the victim was later shot to death as her alleged assailant walked free. The Akron Police Department needs to review how it handles domestic violence cases, especially in its approach to leaving decisions on charges with busy street officers. They say it's also disturbing that in between the time of the assault and the slaying, Lewis was working for a cleaning crew at the Harold K. Stubbs Justice Center. Uh, the, 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 the courthouse, in other words. Uh, while he had a warrant, for misdemeanor charges of assault and aggravated menacing. It should be an embarrassment, they write, to the mayor, the city council, and the Akron PD that a person wanted on a warrant was working in the same building that houses the municipal court and police. Well, I would agree. That should be embarrassing. But it's also kind of par for the course. 
You know, we hear gun control advocates talk all the time about what we need to put these new laws on the books. Whereas gun owners and Second Amendment supporters typically say, no, actually we need to do a better job of enforcing the laws that are already there. This is a perfect example of that. Again, you had somebody who was believed to be responsible for a brutal beating, charged with a misdemeanor offense, which arguably should have been a felony to begin with. But secondly, this guy doesn't show up. He's on, first of all, he's carrying guns illegally, right? Uh, which gun control advocates don't like. And he's arrested for this, convicted of a, as a, of a felony for this, on probation. Apparently, he didn't get a prison sentence. And when he violates his probation, what happens? Nothing happens. Absolutely nothing. The very gun control laws that gun control activists want were in place there, right? It's a crime to carry without a government-issued license. But what happens when that law is violated? <laughs> Slap on the wrist. Send on their merry way. In the meantime, you've also got violent felons who are taking guilty pleas, pleading down to misdemeanors. They, too, are getting slaps on the wrist. I would argue that we need to prioritize the laws on the books and what it is that we're enforcing. And uh, in this particular case, somebody who was, you know, convicted of carrying without a license, a nonviolent offense, now accused of a very violent crime. But in most cases, individuals who are arrested and are solely charged with carrying, out, uh, carrying without a license are not ever charged with a violent crime, nor do they have one in their criminal history. Uh, we learned that from the public defender's brief uh, recently filed in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association uh, versus Bruin case, the case that's challenging New York's carry laws. Uh, we also have learned this uh, as a result of a new study in uh, Ingham County, Michigan, which found that individuals who are, particularly black individuals, uh, who are found to be carrying without a license, something like 14 times more likely uh, than white defendants to face criminal charges, uh, even when there is no underlying crime of violence here. So I know the gun control advocates might look to this and say, aha, see, we, we do need to have these laws in the books saying that uh, you shouldn't be able to carry a gun without a license. I, I would argue that's actually not what we need. What we need is a criminal justice system that takes seriously violent crimes and ensures that there are consequences for those violent crimes. And in this particular case, that didn't happen. In cases every day across this country, that's not happening. And putting more nonviolent possessory offenses on the books takes us in the wrong direction, makes it even more difficult to ensure that violent offenders face serious consequences for their violent crimes, as is the case in Akron, Ohio. All right, now today's uh, armed citizen story, Des Moines, Iowa, where a uh, would-be intruder shot by a victim uh, in Des Moines over the weekend. Uh, this from uh, KCCI. Uh, they report that uh, the man had forced entry into an apartment uh, just after midnight Friday morning, he was armed with a handgun. Sergeant Paul Perizic said the man assaulted and threatened residents inside the apartment before one of the residents then shot the armed intruder, 
Police say the intruder's injuries were not life-threatening, but apparently uh, the injuries were enough to stop this crime from proceeding any further. Uh, Des Moines detectives continue to investigate this case, but uh, right now, sure looks like a a clear-cut case of self-defense. And finally today, our good deed of the day, where a, a Cambridge, Massachusetts police officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, even when he was off the clock and on vacation, Officer J.J. Jones Jr. at a hotel in New Hampshire with his family when they found a man on the floor in a hallway who apparently had overdosed. The Cambridge police said in a Facebook post, after not detecting a pulse, Jones called 911, performed a sternum rub, which led to inconsistent shallow breathing. He then performed CPR for approximately eight minutes until local police arrived. When officers got there, they used an automatic defibrillator. Medics gave the man Narcan uh, to revive him before he woke up and was rushed to a hospital. The Cambridge Police Department says it's another example of the great work our officers continuously do, uh, regardless if they are on or off duty. Well done, Officer Jones. And just a reminder that uh, drug overdose deaths in this country. There's been a lot of attention paid to the rise in violent crime. We've talked about a lot here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Rise in shootings, rise in homicides. But the increase in violent crime pales in comparison to the increase in drug overdose deaths in this country. More than 80,000 drug overdose deaths last year, uh, and the numbers continue to move in the wrong direction. So, uh, Officer J.J. Jones Jr., Again, in the right place at the right time. We'll unable to do the right thing. Let's hope that the um, individual whose life he saved will take advantage of this uh, second opportunity to turn his life around here. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program today. Don't forget, you can become a VIP subscriber at Bearing Arms. All you got to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS. You can get 25% off of your VIP membership. That's going to give you exclusive analysis, commentary. It's also, uh, however, going to help you support programs like this. Uh, We'll be uh, heading to the NRA annual meeting here in just a few weeks. We're doing a lot of on-the-ground interviews with some of the major firearms manufacturers, some of the leading Second Amendment advocates. And again, that's going to be because of your efforts to support this uh, program and this website through your VIP membership. So we really do appreciate all your support. Thank you very much for it. Don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, another, uh, you know, closer look at one of the big stories out there, or maybe just the hypocrisies of the common sense gun safety movement. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.